Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 521. This is my Friday episode. I did not make a third episode this week. Um, I, I had a bad week. We won't talk about it, but it was a bad week. Everything was bad. Every, every, I, everything was horrible this week, and I am fighting through it all. <laughs> uh, let's talk about Thursday Night Football. I, hope you're, I, I really hope you're doing well. I got to like warm up. I haven't talked really all day. I've been working and driving everywhere, and here we are. Uh, I'm in Beaverton, Oregon. Hope we're doing well. Let's jump in. On Thursday night football, the Tennessee Titans beat the Green Bay Packers 27-17. to The Tennessee Titans are now 7-3. and And in my mind, I think they deserve some respect and deserve to be considered a legitimate Super Bowl contender. I mean, I really look at Tennessee and go, yeah, that team could win a title. Like, legitimately, I, I, their defense is awesome. They're playing really well. Their running game is terrifying. Right. I mean, you got to realize <laughs> Tennessee took Kansas City to overtime with their backup quarterback, Malik Willis, playing. And Malik Willis completed five passes in that football game. Like, they challenged Kansas City and took them to overtime without a passing game. Ryan Tannehill is back from an injury. He's playing really, really well. I have always thought that Ryan Tannehill was better than people realize. You know, he was in this game 27, uh, 22 for 27 passing, had 333 yards, two touchdowns. One interception, I think he's one of the most underappreciated people in the NFL. No, he's not Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes, but he can win a lot. He's great on third down and in important moments. I really walk away from this game going, you know, at 7-3, and three, it's time to really respect Tennessee. They're going to win their division easily, have home field advantage, it looks like, in the playoffs to some degree. And I look at the NFL right now, there are seven teams, in my opinion, that have a real opportunity to win a Super Bowl. You're going to laugh at me on one of them. There's definitely six, and there's maybe a seventh. Uh, in the AFC, you've got Kansas City, Buffalo, Miami, Tua Tungavaloa, Mike McDaniel. Everyone knows about Casey and Buffalo. And then I think Tennessee is the other team in the AFC. There's four teams, Miami, Buffalo, Tennessee, and Kansas City. In the NFC, you've got Philadelphia and Minnesota. And then I would throw out there, maybe it's because I'm a Tom Brady fanboy, and that's fine. But I would consider Tampa one of those teams that could win a Super Bowl there, it's a long shot with Tampa. I'm being highly optimistic there. I understand that. You can laugh at me if you want, but I would say single Brady's 2-0. Since the divorce, he's, he's winning. And uh, Tampa has a lot of talent. Say what you want about the Buccaneers. They've got Tom Brady. They've got a lot of talent. And if that team gets to the playoffs, they're going to they could make a run. And so I would say Tampa's one of the seven teams that could win a Super Bowl this year. But those are the only seven teams I see winning a Super Bowl. One of them is going to win a ring. Again, KC, Buffalo, Miami, Tennessee, Philly, Minnesota. And then I'll be gracious and put Tampa in the list. But one of those seven teams will win a Super Bowl. And I, I really feel strongly Tennessee is an underrated dark horse that is a lot better than people are giving them credit for. And, man, I really hope people understand I've talked a lot about Patrick Mahomes and how incredible he is, and I remember at the end of last year talking about how we better appreciate this brief period of time we get to watch Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes all play together because it's special. And lo and behold, Tyreek Hill got traded during the offseason, and I'm glad that was a message I was sending because you never know 
how long a player or a group of players has together. It's, I just hope people appreciate and understand how incredible Derrick Henry is, especially as the NFL is changing. Running backs used to be uh, a much more central piece of every NFL offense. More and more, you're going to see running backs galore that are second-round picks and third-round picks, and they're just becoming interchangeable. And we're kind of out of the era of running backs. It's all about throwing the football and quarterbacks. And I think Derrick Henry is the last of, and I'm sure there's going to be other great running backs throughout, you know, the next generation of football, but they're they're way less prominent than they used to be. And not only is Derrick Henry kind of the end and maybe the final great running back of a, of an era, you know, like there were so many. Adrian Peterson is one of the ones that stands out. Now we have Derrick Henry, and I don't, no, we're going to get another truly great dominant running back for a while. But not only is Derrick Henry dominant now, he he's just one of a kind, man. Like, he he's special. And watching him, defenders don't want to tackle him. Like, people don't, not only don't want to, don't know how to. I talk about uh, Miami's offense a lot. And defenses haven't quite figured out how to slow them down. They've got so much speed, Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell. Equally similar is no one really knows how to stop Derrick Henry, and I don't even know that it's possible. Like, because physically, he's bigger, he's stronger, he's faster, he's imposing. It's insane. And I just, all I want to say here is that I encourage people, be grateful anytime you get to watch Derrick Henry run the football. He's one of the all-time greats. He's special. He's fun. I... Put him on the same pedestal as I do Patrick Mahomes. Anytime you turn on the TV and Patrick Mahomes is playing, I just go, get some popcorn and enjoy the show. The same is true with Derrick Henry. And, I mean, two weeks ago, was it two weeks ago? We got to watch Kansas City play Tennessee, and I was like, greatest game ever. It's so much fun to watch that, and I just hope people appreciate Derrick Henry. I loved the trick play Tennessee ran on Thursday night. Uh, they're on the goal line. They run the ball. Den- well, they hand the ball off to Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry looks like he's going to run the football. Then he jumps in the air and throws a touchdown pass. And you're like, that's a jump pass on a handoff to Derrick Henry. And it's going to be open every time because you turn and hand the football to Derrick Henry. <laughs> D- defenders are like, we we got to like go all out because it's we don't know how to stop him even anyway. So I I, I think that's a, a genius play design. Uh, there's a stain on this game. Tennessee's offensive coordinator got um, arrested for a DUI after the game. Uh, I don't know much to add. It's just there's that information. Do what you want with it. It's He called a hell of a game, and he celebrated a little too hard afterward. And uh, I guess maybe now is the time to just say, don't drink and drive. Be really smart. Don't be stupid. Um, especially if you're an NFL coach, you have money. Get an Uber. Like, what are you doing, bro? I... I I don't understand, man. It's not like it's not like the guy doesn't have the money to pay for an Uber. It's just baffling and, and stupid. And I, um, I'm not going to add any more to it. But that information's out there, and you can do research if you want. Now let's talk about the Packers because the Green Bay Packers, after losing on Thursday night, are now four and seven. It's not a disaster. Well, no, uh, it is a disaster of a season. But they're not at two and nine. It would feel way worse. They're not really in contention for the number one overall pick. Um, and even I would say there was even positive news after losing to Tennessee because 
Their rookie receiver, Christian Watson, had two more touchdown catches, and he's coming along. Uh, he had a, a great jump ball for a touchdown, and he's just it's making progress. The bad news, though, from this game is the obvious one. You walk away losing, and you're now 4-7. and seven. Now you got to start asking the question, at what point is the season over? And does it make sense at any point to bench Aaron Rodgers and play Jordan Love instead? I know that is blasphemous. You can't say that. How dare you suggest? But uh, I think you start Aaron Rodgers the rest of the year out of respect. But that's it. There is no strategic or tactical benefit to making Aaron Rodgers your quarterback the rest of the year. You do it because he's coming off of back-to-back MVP awards. Absolutely. I have nothing but respect for Aaron Rodgers. But is Aaron going to be the quarterback next year in Green Bay? Does that make sense when you're losing? I don't know. That's not for me to answer. I don't think it does. And and I really want to see Tom Brady. Sorry, sorry, that's a Freudian slip. I really want to see Aaron Rodgers pull a Tom Brady and put on a different uniform. I look at the, the New Orleans Saints need a quarterback. That's probably the only opportunity as I look around the league where Aaron could go and win immediately that would also want him. Like, the Giants might need a quarterback. Are they ready to win with Aaron? Washington would probably love to have Aaron Rodgers, but are they really ready to win a Super Bowl? I think Aaron Rodgers in New Orleans, even with a defensive head coach, which actually might work to his benefit, Aaron can run the offense. Head coach can run the defense. You got some really good receiving weapons, a good offensive line, Alvin Kamara. I think you plug Aaron into New Orleans and he wins. And then imagine, by the way, Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady in the same division. (laughs) That's an amazing, amazing thought. So I want to see Aaron leave Green Bay. It's not working the four and seven. uh, But I'm, I'm so interested to see how the rest of the year goes, because if you talk to people in Green Bay, and I mean, I don't mean fans. I mean, the team, they don't think their year is over. They think they can still win. They think they're making progress. Um, I understand that perspective. But there's going to reach a point of no return where it won't make sense anymore to keep playing Aaron Rodgers. And I don't know when you reach that point, but I just keep your eye on all that news because I'm really, really fascinated what's going to happen. And if you can't win with Aaron Rodgers, you probably should move on to your young quarterback, Jordan Love. And take Aaron off the books. He's really expensive. And paying Aaron the money you're paying him when he's one of the top three quarterbacks in the NFL in turnovers and they're losing, doesn't make sense. And it's not because Aaron's bad. It's because they're not winning. And I think Aaron just needs to be in a different situation. Um, I, I don't like saying any of that. And, and what's really sad is the options for Aaron are so limited. I, I you know, San Francisco's got Trey Lance. They're probably not going to want him. I don't know a lot of other NFL teams that are ready to win and also would want Aaron Rodgers. It's a unique situation. There isn't really, you know, Tom Brady got to go to Tampa where they were done with Jameis and had a really good football team. The only situation like that in the NFL is New Orleans. And so um, just keep your eye on the Packers the rest of the year. I'm, I'm not really sure what to expect. And I'm very fascinated. It seems insane. Like, I I don't think they're going to bench Aaron Rodgers. But I have to say, strategically, I think that makes a lot of sense because I, you got to figure out what you have in Jordan Love. 
Especially, I think he might be the Packers quarterback next year. Now, I know that a lot of people listen to this show for football. Even if you're a football person, I I encourage you to stick around for this segment. I'm going to talk about Formula One, but it's so much more than Formula One. And it's really about, it's a story about betrayal, in my opinion. And it's a story about, uh, I lost pretty much all of my respect for a Formula One driver on Sunday. It's very interesting to me. Um, I had a TV problem. I, I couldn't, I don't want to talk about it. I, don't, I, had the, I had the week from hell, to be totally honest. I couldn't watch TV with my TV subscription because of a glitch in their system. And then on top of that, my bank went down for like three days because I think they got hacked, but they won't tell you that. And It was hell. I couldn't fix it. It was just a horrible, horrible week. But finally today, I got to watching the Brazilian Grand Prix, which happened on Sunday. In the Brazilian Grand Prix, I had a great time. I loved it. It's in Sao Paulo. Uh, the number one thing to me is that George Russell got his first ever win in Formula One. It's a very cool moment. Uh, shout out to Brazil. I think I would love it there. The people, the weather, the beaches. Um, and then I, I want to, if you're watching on YouTube, I'm going to put on screen a picture of George Russell holding the trophy. That's the coolest trophy design I have ever seen. The colors, it pops, it makes sense for Brazil. It's tropical and fun. I would want that in my trophy case. I love it. Now, that's that's cool. George Russell got his first ever win in Formula One. You love that. But the story of the race and the thing I'm going to walk away with and maybe never forget from the Brazilian Grand Prix is the time that Max Verstappen absolutely disrespected his teammate in a blatant and baffling and frustrating way. I walked away from this race losing basically all my respect for Max Verstappen. I respect him as a driver, the Red Bull racer. He's a great driver. Um, I've always like known he's kind of a hothead and a bit arrogant, and that's he's always been hard to love, but I've always liked Max Verstappen because I thought it was fun to see the narrative of Lewis Hamilton, the king of Formula One, the you know, multi, multi-time world champion getting taken down. Like Max Verstappen became king of the hill and knocked him off of his, um, what's the word? Not crown, um, throne. Thank you. That's the word. No one's in my ear. That's just me. But he took the throne from Lewis Hamilton. I, and I enjoyed that because I enjoyed the story of things changing and um, the little guy overcoming the big guy. But here's what happened in Brazil. It's the last lap. Uh, Max Verstappen is in sixth place. His teammate Sergio Perez is in seventh. And for context, you have to know this. Max has already won the world title. It's secure. Winning doesn't help Max, and losing doesn't hurt Max. His season, he's the world title winner. And his season, he's basically driving at this point for the hell of it. It's fun. And in fact... Not only has he won the world title already in the Drivers' Championship, but Red Bull as a team has also already secured first place in the team world title race. So the only person on the entire Red Bull team driving for anything is Sergio Perez, the second driver for Red Bull, trying to get second in the world championship and beat Charles uh, Charles Leclerc, the Ferrari driver. So the last lap of the race in Brazil, Max Verstappen is ordered to give up sixth place to his teammate, Uh, Sergio Perez, and help him. He's going to get sixth place so that he can get closer to second and closer to winning the drivers, uh, the second place in the driver's title race. 
So Max gets ordered, give your spot to your teammate. And Max completely disobeyed. He refused to help Sergio Perez. In fact, a direct quote from Max Verstappen after being told to give up sixth place to Sergio Perez. You know, Christian Horner, the Red Bull team principal, said, Max, what happened? Why aren't you doing it? And Max said, verbatim, he said, I told you already last time, don't ask me again. Don't ask me. I messed it up. I messed it up. Verbatim. No, no, no. Here's the quote in full. I'm going to read it. He said, I told you already last time, don't ask that again to me. And that's what threw me off is that again to me is kind of weird phrasing, but that's what he said. And Max continues. He says, are we clear about that? I gave my reasons and I stand by it. So Max refused to help his teammate, Sergio Perez. And when Sergio Perez, or his nickname, Checo, when Checo found out, he let it slip on the radio. Well, that shows who he really is. That's what Sergio Perez said on the radio. Now, there's been a lot of PR this week, a lot of backtracking, a lot of covering their ah, their donkey things. They're covering their, what's another word? Covering their butts. Thank you. Uh, they've been covering their butts a lot at Red Bull this week and walking back statements and apologizing and trying to help each other. And Sergio Perez has been very, very careful his entire time at Red Bull to be very respectful of Max Verstappen, to give him the benefit of the doubt, to always pretty much bend the knee to their number one driver. Sergio Perez realizes, I'm, I'm lucky to be here. It's fun. I win races and work, life is good. And I hate, I would not want to piss off Max and lose my job. I think that's how he feels. He knows Max has all the power over that Red Bull. He's a two-time world champion. He's a number one driver. But man, Max Verstappen in Brazil came across as so incredibly self-centered. I really, really value generosity and humility. And I've been a big fan of Max since I started watching Formula One. I like the story of the little guy, Max Verstappen and Red Bull, trying to beat Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton, who had dominated at the point I entered and started watching Formula One. Mercedes had been dominating for a long time, particularly Lewis Hamilton. So I I was all in on that fun story. But you got to realize, Max is already, I think, kind of a hard personality to like. He's a bit abrasive. He is emotional. He gets angry. Um, He's also, to be honest, and a lot of F1 drivers are like this, and Max Verstappen in particular, He's a rich kid. He, his dad was a Formula One driver. Like, Max got a lot of advantages that a lot of other people don't. And for me, who grew up dirt poor and lives in a pickup truck, it's hard not to feel a little bit jaded towards Max Verstappen. Like, the dude got a lot of help. And he seems kind of arrogant. And we really learned who he was in Sao Paulo, Brazil, because Sergio Perez has been a perfect teammate all through his entire time driving for Red Bull. In fact, without Sergio Perez, Max Verstappen would not be the world champion he was in 2021. In 2021, Max Verstappen would not have won the world title without that help from Sergio Perez. And there's so much ego there. You know, to to have a lack of respect for the person who helped you get to the top. After the race, ESPN F1 posted a graphic on Instagram, a reminder of all the times Sergio Perez helped Max Verstappen last year. He helped him in Monaco, Max won. In Baku, he didn't allow Lewis Hamilton to pass him. Uh, That led to uh, Lewis Hamilton going long and finishing in 16th. In Silverstone, he took fastest lap from him. He helped him in France. That's a race that uh, 
slowed, Lewis was slowed down by Sergio Perez, and then Max cut up and passed Lewis Hamilton and went on to win the race in Turkey. Sergio Perez defended against Lewis, and Lewis was in fifth. Max got second. In Austin, he made Lewis Hamilton take a pit stop early to prevent an undercut. Max Verstappen won. In Brazil, Checo took fastest lap from Lewis Hamilton. And then in Abu Dhabi, the race that Max Verstappen clinched the world title, Sergio Perez held up Lewis Hamilton for 10 seconds, making Lewis Hamilton have to skip a pit stop in order to not lose track position. And we all remember Max Verstappen went on to pass Lewis Hamilton and win the race because Lewis didn't have new tires. It's insane. One, Monaco, Baku, France, Silverstone, Turkey, Austin, Brazil, and Abu Dhabi. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight unique moments last year where Sergio Perez made a massive contribution to help Max Verstappen win the world title. Max Verstappen would not have been world champion last year without the help from Sergio Perez. Um, and there, I will say, there's a theory that part of why Max Verstappen acted uh, this way and didn't allow Sergio Perez to pass him during um, the Brazilian Grand Prix was because earlier this year in Monaco, Sergio Perez crashed in Q3 of qualifying, didn't let Max make a final run at you know, pole position. I don't really understand this theory. Like, I, I don't know what motivation Sergio Perez would have had to crash at the end of qualifying because he wasn't... It's not like Sergio Perez had pole position. Um, Checo was in third on the his place on the grid, and he only won because Ferrari was stupid and messed up. I don't really understand that. And let's say that's true. You still can't forget where you come from. Think of all the times Max was helped by Sergio Perez. You cannot forget who helped you get to the top. And I just... Here, here's where I lost Max forever, probably. Or, or where maybe where Max lost me forever. Giving Sergio Perez sixth place would have cost Max nothing. And he still didn't do it. You lose me when you have an opportunity to help people. And it costs you nothing and you still don't do it. Then you're just a selfish... Man, there's words I don't want to say here. Um, you're not a good guy. I, I just, I, I can't imagine a situation where it's, it's even another thing to not help a stranger and do nothing, but it's, it's even worse to not help someone who has helped you over and over again. And it costs you nothing to help them. And you still want to help them. You're a jerk. And Max Verstappen came across as a massive, selfish, egotistical jerk on Sunday. And I once was a fan of him. And now I'm like, I, I'm sorry, but I, I don't support that behavior at all. I, 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 someone who's selfish and won't help someone, even when it costs them nothing. And by the way, helping someone who's helped you tremendously in your career. The reason why you've reached the heights you have in your career is because of this person and you still want to help them? That's that's really, really messed up. And I walked away, with all respect, lost for Max Verstappen. And I, I can't be alone in that. I just, I, I say it one more time. When you, would, when you have an opportunity to help someone who's helped you a bunch and it costs you nothing to help them and they've, at great personal sacrifice, helped you a bunch, to not return the favor is, is insane. And I don't even know how much of it. I just... Max is a jerk and I, he lost me. I'm ranting now, but I, I just was so... I couldn't believe that, what I saw when I watched that race. Um, 
on Monday Night Football, Washington beat Philadelphia 32-21. to um, It was the Eagles' first loss of the year. The Eagles are now 8-1. and So what happened here? Why did Philadelphia lose this game on Monday night? Number one, Washington dominated time of possession. Washington had the ball for over two-thirds of the game. Uh, you know, their time of possession was over 40 minutes. That's a big deal. So Washington's offense was really good. Um, Philly had four turnovers in this game, although that's a bit misleading. They really only had three turnovers. Jalen Hurts threw an interception. Uh, it was a play where I think he thought he had one-on-one coverage, coverage with A.J. Brown. And the safety turned and made a great recovery. And it turned into double coverage and a safety made a play. And, got you know, Jalen got picked off. I don't really blame him too much there. At least I understood where he was coming from in the thought process. Uh, later, Quez Watkins fumbled. So did Dallas Goddard. Um, so that's three turnovers. The fourth turnover for Philly was literally on the last play of the game. Philly was lateraling, trying to make a play and keep the game alive or score a touchdown. Ball went on the turf. Washington grabbed it, got a touchdown. Ah, you know, it's it really was a closer game than it looked like, and it really was fewer turnovers than it looked like when you look at the final box score. I just wouldn't panic if you're a Philly fan. You lost one game, you're eight and one. I think a whole storm of factors really are why Philadelphia lost on Monday night. Turnovers, missed calls, a couple of bad breaks, and I think sometimes you just lose. Now, the most interesting storyline from Monday Night Football is Washington's quarterback situation. It's Taylor Heineke against Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz was the day one starter. They traded for him in the offseason. You're paying him a ton of money. Taylor Heineke's a guy who... Did some good stuff in the past. He's really kind of a career backup, but he's playing pretty well. And I was very surprised to hear Washington Commanders head coach Ron Rivera say that it's not a guarantee Carson Wentz will be the starting quarterback when he returns and is healthy. The reason why that was surprising is because Carson has a really big contract. I mean, Washington is financially invested in Carson. And I would also say... um, To me, Taylor Heineke has not clearly stolen the job from Carson. He's not throwing for 300 yards and multiple touchdowns every game. He's playing more modestly, and they're winning. But he runs the offense well. He's a good leader. And he also makes a couple risky throws every game. And he does a lot of stuff that I go, I think Carson could do that. But the difference between Taylor Heineke and Carson Wentz is Taylor Heineke is an encouraging leader. And the fact that Carson Wentz might lose his job to Taylor Heineke is a really bad and even embarrassing look. It's it's just clear to me Carson Wentz is not a great leader. Washington is paying Carson a ton and still might not play him. Like, that's that's crazy to me. And I mean no disrespect to Taylor Heineke. He does some good stuff. He's a good leader. I think he brings the best out of his teammates. He's very encouraging. And if if Taylor Heineke had the physical skill set of Carson Wentz, he would be an incredible, probably top five quarterback. I think Ron Rivera, the head coach of Washington, believes Taylor Heineke gives them the best chance to win. And they have one more with Taylor Heineke. I think the locker room also supports Taylor Heineke. And and Carson Wentz has no presence. I mean, you watch Carson Wentz on the sideline hoodie. He's got his hood up. He looks like he's pouting. Whereas Taylor Heineke's, you know, hey, let's go, guys, is encouraging his teammates, is high-fiving people, he's picking them up, and he's, he's leading people. He's rallying his teammates. 
I look at this weekend, Taylor Heineke's playing on the road at Houston, a really bad football team. I think it's a great opportunity for Taylor Heineke to win and look really good. And if he does, he, he probably is going to be the starting quarterback in Washington the rest of the year. But I just can't say enough. Man, where there's smoke, there's fire. Carson Wentz is not a great leader. You know, Philly didn't want him. Indy didn't want him. And now Washington doesn't appear to want him. Like, the jury's out. Carson Wentz is not very good. He's not often healthy. He's not particularly... I, I can't tell you what Carson Wentz does very, very well, other than get hurt. He's great at getting hurt, apparently. And he's also not a great leader, because there's he's just not compelling. The team doesn't appear to rally behind Carson Wentz, and some of that is people skills and bad leadership. Now, uh, this weekend in the NFL, we're in the football world in general. Uh, there are really, it's not a great weekend of college football. There's only three games I find interesting. Georgia at Kentucky, uh, number one ranked Georgia at Kentucky. I, I'm curious to watch Will Levis, the Kentucky quarterback, against Georgia's defense, but I have been wildly underwhelmed by Will Levis all year, the Kentucky quarterback, who people keep telling me is a first-round quarterback, and I go, I'm still waiting to see it. The next game I'm curious about is USC at UCLA. It's it's number seven ranked USC against number 16 ranked UCLA. A Pac-12 battle. UCLA has two losses. USC only has one. Uh, USC is the favorite right now to win the Pac-12 title. They're the only one-loss team left in the Pac-12. Uh, if UCLA can beat USC, that would be a massive, massive deal. And then another Pac-12 game that's interesting this weekend is number 10 Utah at number 12 Oregon. Both teams are 8-2. and two. That'll be really interesting and fun. In the NFL world, there are really only four games I find that interesting. Um, the Colts-Eagles game is interesting. Philly just lost. They're now 8-1. and one. How do they respond after losing their first game of the year? And then it's Jeff Saturday's second game as a head coach of the Colts. And I'm really fascinated to see how Jeff Saturday does with Indy. Um, Cowboys-Vikings is really interesting. Minnesota's 8-1. Dallas has a massive brand. And basically, anytime Dallas does anything, it's noteworthy and interesting. Just because they got a massive fan base. And when Dallas plays one of the best teams in the NFL, people pay attention. I'm going to pay attention. It'll be very interesting to see what happens. Um, Sunday Night Football is a great game. Kansas City at the Chargers. It's Patrick Mahomes in primetime against Justin Herbert. That's going to be really fun and exciting. And then the fourth game this weekend that's interesting in the NFL is Jets at Patriots. They played each other week eight, which uh, the Jets have only played one game since that. They beat Buffalo. Uh, and week eight against the Patriots, Zach Wilson, the Jets quarterback, had three really bad interceptions. I am very curious to see how he responds and maybe makes changes after uh, that last game. I missed something here. I want to talk about it. I don't know where it is in my notes. Um, I guess we could just do it without notes, but that seems very sad. There it is. I got mixed up in all of the... <laughs> and all of the... Uh, the at Formula One notes. Let's talk about this before we get into Ask Zach. Um, because of snow... The NFL has moved the Bills-Browns game to Detroit. Buffalo was set to get six feet of snow this weekend. Uh, I think even just on Sunday was six feet of snow. It's even more like it's it's snowing like crazy there right now as I speak. So instead of playing a snowy game in Buffalo, they are now playing a neutral site game in Detroit. Uh, the Bills are going to be in Detroit all week. They play there again on Thursday on Thanksgiving. 
And I get it. The NFL's doing this thing for safety reasons. They don't want to play a game in Buffalo with crazy snow. Um, I think it's also, you got to consider fan safety, like fans trying to get to and from the game. You don't want to have a game in the NFL where like 10 people die driving home. Like You can't do that. I get it. So I understand the safety concerns, but I'm also, as a fan of football, very, very disappointed. I wanted to see them try to play a game in six feet of snow. Like that sounds insane and fun. And I don't feel bad for the players. These guys make millions of dollars. They can handle some cold. I think really it's the optics of the fan base and the state of emergency that's bad. But part of what makes football special, in my opinion, is that you play rain or shine. In baseball, when it's raining really hard, you don't play. Basketball is played indoors. Uh, Football is the only sport where you just deal with it. Rain, mud, snow. You only don't play for lightning because guys can get hit in the helmet and die. Like, you know, I, I love snow games and I really wanted to see a three to nothing snow game and I'm disappointed we didn't get to see that. Again, I get it. It's a safety concern. I think, again, a lot of that is the logistics of getting people to and from the stadium more than the... I don't think it's that dangerous. To, it's cold and not fun to play in snow, but you're not at risk of dying. I think it's more... You can't have, again, 10 people drive home and die after the Bills game. So the NFL made the move for safety reasons, but I just walk away like, oh, man. When I saw how much it was supposed to snow in Buffalo, I was so excited. Like, man, a snow game. Let's go. And the NFL nerfed it and said, we're not we're not doing it. And I was pretty disappointed when I saw that news. All right. Uh, let's end the show with questions from Patreon. Let me open up to you guys this week or, or today. I had uh, a bad week. Just a lot of things went wrong. Um, so many things in my personal life. In uh, <laughs> so many, it was a it was a really bad week. And I, I wanted to take the night off so badly. I was like, I I'm just I'm behind. I feel like I've been behind for months. And maybe I just I just go sleep. And I I really 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 want to make an episode that comes out. Monday morning this next week. How do I do that? I probably need to rest and just get ready and start preparing for Monday now. But then I was like, look, I, I got to do Patreon questions. I really love doing it. I told people I would record an episode on Friday. Here we are. Um, it's a weird episode today. Like it's form of the one and two football games and a, a brief preview of the weekend and talking about a snow game. But this is the meat and potatoes of the episode in my mind. It's why we're doing it. If you want to support the show, you go to patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. You, it's a dollar a month. If you donate a dollar a month, you get access to submit questions on Patreon. I do not guarantee to read your questions on the show. My only guarantee is I look at every single question with my eyeballs and I pick the top couple to read on the show. Um, you can donate more if you want to. Please do. I need the money. <laughs> Struggling, man. Uh, and Patreon is the best way to support me if you want to. Um, let's jump in. Caleb wrote in today. And I, you guys always write in with great questions. I very much appreciate it. Let's open. I'm so dumb. I should have prepared this. I didn't open my uh, my Google Docs sheet before. Caleb wrote on a Patreon. Caleb said, Did you know Justin Jefferson has more receiving yards since he was drafted than Jerry Rice had in his first three years? And... Justin Jefferson's third year isn't even over. Uh, Justin Jefferson has 4,076 yards to Jerry Rice's 3,574. That's 
basically 500 more receiving yards than Jerry Rice had in the you know three first three years of his career. As a Lions fan, this is very impressive. Do you think it's fair to compare them, or is the NFL just too different? Also, I've been a long-time listener, a new donor. Would love to get lunch if your journeys ever take you to Northeast Arkansas or Southeast Missouri. Hey, dude, let's definitely meet up. Um, my, I have two grandparents I, I've never met. I, I met my first grandpa uh, last weekend. It honestly didn't go well. Um, it, it was a bad time, but whatever. I have another. My dad's dad lives in Arkansas, Little Rock. I'd love to go there someday. I hear he actually wants to meet me. Sounds kind of cool. Um, sorry. Trying to leave the personal stuff. It sucked. This week sucked. Um, so, Caleb, I don't know that this stat, you say Justin Jefferson has more receiving yards than Jerry Rice did in his first three years. It has no value to me, this stat, because the NFL is too different. Jerry Rice was playing in such a different NFL. In fact, I think the fact you can even compare these stats is insane and says a lot about Jerry Rice. Like, Jerry Rice was destroying people. So, I don't know, man. I, 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 It's the kind of thing that is great on, like, a Twitter post or an Instagram post. We're like, wow, look! Justin Jefferson passed Jerry Rice. But then you think about it, like, it's a different NFL with different rules, and they ran the ball more. And if anything, it just makes you even more impressed with Jerry Rice it it's even comparable now Sawyer writes in and says hey Zach hope all is well these past two days the XFL has completed its open draft phase which has seen a litany of interesting quarterback prospects going off the board which quarterback if any are you rooting for the most personally I'm excited to watch Cole McDonald and see Ben DiNucci get their chances again the league is in an interesting situation now due to their new ownership and NFL affiliation and I think this has set them up to have a legitimate staying power in the football world. Do you think players will start to skip college and instead head to the XFL to develop? Thanks for reading, and let's hope Seattle does better than they did in 2020. Um, man, first of all, I don't think players are going to go skip college to go to the XFL, just because now you can make a lot of money in, in college football. If maybe if college football didn't allow you to make money, maybe the XFL could get players. But even then, I don't know that it's not going to happen. Players are going to, it's the system in place. People have a really hard time bucking and changing the system. And um, I think if any top recruit went to the XFL instead of college football, to be totally frank, I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it makes sense, but people are so uncomfortable with change and different stuff. Uh, anytime you do anything out of the normal, people are like, oh, what's what's wrong with you? And if some kid skipped Alabama to go to the XFL or even skipped like Nebraska, people would say, does he have no work ethic? Why is he, does he like have bad grades? What's happening? They would find a way to make it a bad thing, even though I would way rather play in the XFL than college football. To play football professionally and not have to worry about the nonsense of going to college classes sounds amazing, but um, it's not going to happen. It just, there's no way. But I, I, if there ever is a kid who skips, especially a quarterback who skipped um, college football to go to the XFL, I would love that. And I could see that happening at different positions, but you're never going to see a quarterback skip college football to go to the XFL. Although, again, I would love that. Here are the quarterbacks I'm excited to watch in the XFL. You've got Luis Perez, who 
I recorded a segment about Sergio Perez, the Formula One racer. I, I worry now. Did I say Luis Perez a bunch? I hope not. Uh, but Luis Perez walked on to a community college after not playing high school football. Walked on as a quarterback, made the team, became the starting quarterback, uh, ended up winning the Division II Heisman Trophy at some point during his college career. Now he's a professional quarterback and playing for the Vegas, uh, I think the Vegas Vipers, is that their name, of the, the Vegas XFL team? But Luis Perez, one of the coolest stories in the history of football, in my opinion. It's up there with like Kurt Warner bagging groceries. He didn't play high school football, you guys, and now he's a professional quarterback. How is that possible? It's so impressive to me. Uh, DC, uh, the DC Defenders have a quarterback named Eric Dungy. Played at Syracuse. He can run. He can throw. He's fun to watch. Um, he's also from the Portland area where I grew up. Uh, that'll be interesting. DeAndre Francois is one of the quarterbacks in Orlando. He once played at Florida State. Uh, got dismissed from the team after a domestic violence accusation. I think it's a part of the story you got to leave in. Let people make their decision for themselves. But he played his final year at Hampton. I really appreciated that he got himself on the field, right? When you see a quarterback leave a big program, often they don't end up playing again. And he he went somewhere where he got on the field and played, and he's in the professional football, you know, AXFL now, and that'll be interesting. Uh, A.J. McCarron is in St. Louis. I He's a guy who's been around a long time. I think he's like 32 years old, A.J. McCarron is, and... Um, I, I like that he's playing in this league. AJ McCarron's like, I want to play football, man. I'm not guaranteed anything. Let's play ball. That's awesome. Uh, and then Seattle's got two in- interesting quarterbacks. I think their number one quarterback is going to be Ben DiNucci. But to be totally frank, the quarterback I'm more interested in watching in Seattle is Steven Montez, the former Colorado Buffalo quarterback. Steven Montez didn't really work in the NFL. I don't know if it was a learning curve thing or what, but he's a big physical talented quarterback and I would love to see Steven Montez play for Seattle because he's got potential that I think is untapped. So sorry, those are the quarterbacks I'm excited to watch in the XFL uh, this coming spring. Imatep writes in, he says, are you a supporter of the 12 team college football playoff? Why or why not? By the way, my name is pronounced Imhotep. My middle name is Christo. If you want to use that, I won't blame you. I think I pronounced Imatep right. I don't know that you're, uh, if, if it's if you, the way you spelled it in your like helpful, you know, parentheses spelling says I'm ho tep. Eem, I think is how I've always heard it pronounced. I think you should have gone E E M Eem ho tep, but maybe I'm saying it wrong. So I have no idea. Emotep, middle name, Chris, if I'm saying your name wrong, I apologize. I'm doing the best I can. There's that phonetic way to break down uh, words and this isn't exactly that. So I'm doing the best I can. Why do I like the college football playoff, though, being expanded to 12 teams? Here's why. Yes, by the way, I support the 12-team college football playoff expansion. It would give us more meaningful games. Uh, Plus, later in the year, you'd have more teams in the mix. Look at the top uh, 12 right now in college football. Teams 5 through 12. Number 5 ranked Tennessee. Number 6 ranked LSU. Number 7 USC. Number 8 Alabama. Number nine, Davos Sweeney and Clemson. Number 10, Utah. Uh, number 11, Penn State. Their horrible quarterback, Sean Clifford, who drives me nuts. Number 12, Oregon. These are all really interesting and fun programs in college football. And I want a tournament with all these teams included. That sounds fun to hear the have them play each other again and in games that matter where they're playing for something, not just some bowl game that 
helps the program get money. That's awesome. And there are good matchups to be had in these games. And so I want to expanded college football playoff because I don't like bowl games. They're often meaningless and not very interesting when a team isn't playing in pursuit of something. And to get all these great programs together in a tournament where they play each other sounds so fun and so compelling. And you can even do it in multiple rounds where I don't care if the top four teams in the bracket, maybe the the top four get a bye week week one and they, they don't have to play in the first round. That's fine with me. I don't care at all. I just want to see these teams play each other. In fact, I would rather watch... Here, I'm at, I don't want to watch Oregon play Georgia again, right? So let's say my my plan would be if you're a top four team that used to be just the only teams who let in, but now it gives you a first round bye in the playoff. So then you'd have number five, Tennessee playing number 12, Oregon. That sounds like a really fun game. How about Penn State against LSU? That's interesting. Utah, USC. Interesting. They beat each other. They played each other earlier. Utah beat USC. Alabama Clemson. That sounds fun. I like that. And then from there, you take those winners and match them up against, you know, that's one game, two game, three game, four games. So you take the winners from the five through 12 and match them up against the top four teams. So let's say Tennessee beats Oregon. Then you would have Tennessee playing against um, TCU. And then Let's say LSU beats Penn State. LSU would then play um, Michigan, right? Like that that sounds, I don't know if I'm making any sense, but I think the top four teams get a first round bye. You play these four games in round one. The winners of those four match up against the top four and you go from there. And I, I love the tournament style and I want more, like a higher volume of interesting, meaningful games in college football. And that is what expanding the college football playoff would do. Nasty the Samurai writes in and says, Hey, Zach, I have a lot of Raiders fans in my family and was asking them this question the other day. Do you think the Raiders should draft Bryce Young if given the chance? I completely understand that the problem in Vegas is not Derek Carr, their quarterback. It is, in fact, their head coach, Josh McDaniels, his fault who will surely be out of a head coaching job very soon. But I think if given the chance, they should not pass up on Bryce Young and give Derek Carr a chance to start fresh elsewhere. Derek Carr has been fine for most of his career, especially given the situations he's been put in. But after only two playoff appearances and nine years with zero wins, I think Bryce Young would be a perfect excuse for both parties to go their separate ways. I totally agree. I think, yeah, you give Derek Carr a fresh start, Uh, And then you get a rookie quarterback on a cheap contract who, by the way, has a lot of potential. And Bryce Young, right now, my favorite quarterback to watch on any level of football. I love watching this young guy extend plays. Um, Like, you you get good receivers, and you you already have got, you know, I mean, Devontae Adams and some good weapons there with Bryce Young throwing them the football and a cheaper quarterback contract so you can spend more money elsewhere. That's great. I think Nasty's question goes hand-in-hand with Justin's, which is, Justin writes in and says, Yo, yo, yo! What's going on, Zachalicious? Not sure I like that. Zachalicious. I'm like, it's like Zach-flavored gum. What does that mean? I don't know. (laughs) Justin says, I'll give you 100% control to make the Raiders a Super Bowl champion team in five years. You can fire anyone. You can hire anyone. You can make any trade that you think might be possible. You have complete control over all aspects of the franchise, but in five years, the Raiders must 
win the Super Bowl. How will you go about making this happen? P.S. Not a Raiders fan. Just thought this would be an interesting thing to hear. Um, one option is to trade for Aaron Rodgers and have Aaron Rodgers throw to Devontae Adams again. I wouldn't do that. That's an interesting idea. Here's what I would do, though. And by the way, the Raiders cannot afford to fire Josh McDaniels. At least that's the rumor is they don't have the money literally to fire him and hire a new coach. Um, so I assume if the Raiders couldn't do that without me, they probably can't do that with me. I'm not bringing millions of dollars with me, so I'm stuck with Josh McDaniels. But I think what you do, I would get rid of every big contract other than receivers, to be totally honest. I'd keep one veteran leader on defense, probably Max Crosby. Um, I'd keep any receivers I've got paid. I would trade Derek Carr. I would trade every other high-value contract I have and just cheapen out on everything and get it, you know, have a cheap rookie quarterback, maybe Bryce Young. Uh, I would do whatever it took to have a quarterback with a really cheap contract who's ready to win now. I think that's the formula to win a Super Bowl now is you have a cheap quarterback, uh, you build a great roster around them, and if you get a really good, good enough young quarterback with a great team around them, that can win a Super Bowl. Um, that's what Philly did a couple years ago. Nick Foles was their quarterback, but they had Carson Wentz on a rookie contract, so they built a great team around him. That's what I would do for the Raiders, um, and that, that that would be my plan to fix the Raiders. I think Derek Carr right now is more value to you if you get rid of him than if you keep him for the rest of his contract. So I I would trade Derek Carr in a heartbeat. And it'd be respectful to him to let him go and try to do something better off without you. Because it just it's not worked with the Raiders and Derek Carr. Now, uh, Carl writes in on Patreon. Carl says, Hey, Zach. A lot has been said in the media about Carson Wentz against Taylor Heineke. The biggest narrative has been that Washington plays better with Heineke at the helm compared to Carson Wentz, despite the two being roughly the same statistically. I think it's the humble beginning and salary that makes him so relatable to his players. Aaron Rodgers and Kyler Murray make too much money compared to their teammates for them to be easy to root for and play for. Triple this for Russell Wilson. What do you think is the magic behind Taylor Heineke that makes him and makes his teammates play so hard for him? Taylor Heineke encourages the people around him. Have you ever watched Taylor Heineke on the sideline? I have. Um, he, he just is encouraging. And that, like it, it, goes, it goes such a long way. Um, I've got a friend of mine who works in the corporate world. And their boss will make all these unfair rules and then will not follow them herself. And I think a good leader doesn't have, you know... Special rules that only apply to me. You got it. You, the way you act is the way you expect everyone else to act. And say what you want about Carson Wentz uh, ability on the field. But as a leader, I don't think he's got good people skills. Philly didn't like him. They got rid of him. They replaced him with the great leader, Jalen Hurts. Carson is much more physically talented than Jalen Hurts is, but they went with Jalen Hurts. Indy clearly didn't like Carson Wentz. They got rid of him after one year. Where there's smoke, there's fire. And I'm of the belief now that Carson, it's his third team in three years. It's his third time being replaced by another quarterback in three years. And what's the only thing Taylor Heineke's better at than Carson Wentz? Leadership. (laughs) So I... You can't call Carson a great leader. That's literally the only thing Taylor Heineke has an edge on Carson in. 
Uh, Ian K writes in and says, Zach, do you think Taylor Heineke should be the commander's permanent starter? He's not that talented and does not put up the best numbers, but the team seems to love him. He's gone four and one as their starter compared to Carson Wentz going one and four. Washington will not be in a position to draft a quarterback next year, so should they run it back with Heineke again? If not, who would be a good alternative? I don't know. I think Carson's two and five, and I, I, I hmm. Is Heineke and my? Maybe I'm wrong. I thought Taylor Heineke only played in four games this year, so do what you want with that information. I, I don't. Is Taylor Heineke four and one, and Carson one and five, one and four? Someone correct. I don't. I don't think that's actually true. But either way, the question remains the same. Should Taylor Heineke be the quarterback long term, or, or at least for now in Washington? I think until further notice, Taylor Heineke is the best quarterback option in Washington. He's better than Carson Wentz. He's better than whatever else you can throw at them. He's better than a lot of quarterbacks in the draft. Um, Bryce Young is ideal. If you can draft Bryce Young in Washington, that's your move. I don't know if they're going to be able to. I would rather have Taylor Heineke than Will Levis, a quarterback out of Kentucky. One really interesting move for Washington would be to draft the Oregon quarterback, Bo Nix, in the second round. Or, or any young really physically gifted quarterback who that's the the thing that Taylor Heineke doesn't bring to the table. He's not very physically gifted, but if you draft Bo Nix out of Oregon, you let him sit behind Heineke and learn for a while. Um, I think that's a great, that's a great plan. Heineke's your quarterback until maybe Bo Nix beats him out someday. But also think about this. Washington has never actually fully supported and leaned into Taylor Heineke as our starting quarterback. Imagine if Taylor Heineke was the day one starter, how different he might like the, we've never seen Washington really put their confidence behind Taylor Heineke. And as I'm a former quarterback, when your team believes in you and I, I went into my senior year of high school football, knowing I was the starter, I was so much more comfortable and I, my team is behind me. I, I was the man. I felt that way. Heineke's never had that experience. That's sad. He deserves that from Washington. Like, I would love to see Washington say, you're our guy. And we're going to build a team around you and see what happens. Because they've never even tried that alternative. And I, I, I'd love to see Taylor Heineke with the team behind him. Uh, and what might happen in that situation? Because I know the difference in... Uh, comfort level when your team really does fully support you and it's your job from the very beginning every year they've had Heineke they've they've made him compete against someone or have to win it and I I'm I'd love to see them just just support the guy let's see what happens roll the dice you got nothing to lose um, you, I don't think you're gonna be able to draft Bryce Young so you draft a second round quarterback who's really talented and gonna have to sit for a while and learn by Heineke and then Heineke's your guy for the next year or two until the young guy's ready I love that plan Zach writes in and says, Hey, Zach, I don't think Josh Allen has gotten on Patrick Mahomes' level yet. He lacks the consistency that Patrick Mahomes has had over his career. I know Josh will get there, but I don't think he's there yet. Zach, I totally agree. And Zach, it's, you know, we're two Zachs. We spell our names differently, but we got to stick together. Um, In recent weeks, watching Josh Allen play against the Packers, where he threw two bad interceptions and allowed Green Bay to hang around, Against the Jets, where he had bad interceptions and lost. Against Minnesota, 
where he had two interceptions and a fumble and lost. We've seen a lot of ugly mistakes by Josh Allen in recent weeks. And I think it, it's really shown the gap between, you know, Josh Allen's pretty close to Mahomes, but Mahomes is the king in the NFL. He's He's got the throne. He's on top of the hill. And uh, it's Patrick Mahomes and then everybody else in the NFL. And even Josh Allen, who I, I thought was right there, isn't quite on the same level as Patrick Mahomes. And I saw someone, by the way, say like, Hey, you know, when Patrick Mahomes throws interceptions, it's the end of the world. But when Josh Allen doesn't, it's not. Got it. I was like, I've never said Patrick Mahomes is, I, I've never criticized um, Patrick Mahomes and said, you know, it's the end of the world and it's horrible. Like, I, if he makes mistakes, I'll call him out. But I, I have a lot of reverence and respect for Patrick Mahomes. I just called him the best quarterback in the NFL. And I say every time I watch him, it's just fun to watch. Like, you just got to enjoy Patrick Mahomes. So I don't know why there's a narrative out there. I think people like to make up narratives and believe I said stuff that I didn't say or believe I believe stuff I don't believe. I, I, I'm I very fair. Like, I, I try as hard as I can be to fair be fair to everybody. And uh, I think when you're fair to Patrick Mahomes, you end up walking away with, like, that dude's incredible. <laughs> and, like, I, if that's not your takeaway when you watch Patrick Mahomes and you can't acknowledge how incredible he is and how he's definitely the best quarterback in the NFL. I don't know what you might be looking at. Nathan writes in and says, do you think the Dolphins can pull a Bengals and be that unexpected team that can reach the Super Bowl? I fully believe they can make the Super Bowl, but many people count them out. I believe they are the second best team in the AFC. Uh, Nathan, yeah, Miami can go to the Super Bowl. I, I think their game planning is unbelievable. Uh, there's a great clip of Miles Garrett right now talking about playing Miami and how he felt like no matter what they did, they were wrong. <laughs> and Miami just was like one step ahead of them the entire game. So Mike McDaniel, the head coach of Miami, is a wizard. No one knows how to stop Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddell anyway. And then you had Mike McDaniel's system. You realize Miami added Bradley Chubb, and it's Bradley Chubb and Jalen Phillips getting after the quarterback. Tua's playing great. They're better with Tua. There are seven teams right now that can win the Super Bowl. Kansas City, Buffalo, Miami, and Tennessee— Minnesota, Philly, and I would throw Tampa in there. One of those seven teams are going to win the Super Bowl. I'll say it one more time. Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City, Buffalo and Josh Allen, Miami and Mike McDaniel, Tua, Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle, Tennessee and Derrick Henry, Minnesota and Kevin O'Connell, Philly and their awesome team in Jalen Hurts, and Tampa with Tom Brady. One of those seven teams is going to win the Super Bowl. Carter writes in and says, what teams are going to have the most interesting off-seasons? I personally look to the Packers off-season. It feels like a bomb that's been waiting to explode for years, finally running out of time. But there's plenty of teams that could have an entertaining off-season. Any team in need of a leadership change or anyone who might be in the Lamar Jackson sweepstakes, what teams are you looking at? Uh, Lamar Jackson is going to stay in Baltimore. There's no Lamar Jackson sweepstakes. He's going to be there and makes no sense to me to it's not even worth entertaining um the Colts to me are the most interesting football team this offseason because they've got questions at head coach and at quarterback that's a lot of changes that could happen and a lot of potential for a coach and a quarterback being paired up together there um the Geno Smith contract in Seattle is very fascinating he's older uh but quarterbacks are playing longer than ever he's playing really well but he's not playing incredible he's just playing really efficiently so how much does Seattle pay Geno Smith? What's a 
Is it going to be what seems like a reasonable amount? Is it going to be an absurd amount? I have no idea. Uh, the head coaching situation in Arizona is very fascinating. Uh, I I wonder if Eric Bieniemy is finally going to get hired. Eric Bieniemy should have been hired like five years ago, but guys are getting hired at ESPN before Eric Bieniemy somehow. Like the Raiders should have hired Eric Bieniemy. By the way, <laughs> they hired Josh McDaniel and are paying for it dearly. Do not make the mistake the Raiders did. And if you have a chance to hire Eric Bieniemy, effing do it. Why does nobody want the genius of Eric Bieniemy in their in their coaching room? I don't get it. Um, who's going to be the Saints quarterback next year? And what's going to happen there this offseason? What's going to happen with Washington? Are they going to go all in on Taylor Heineke? Or are they going to draft a quarterback? I think Washington is going to draft Will Levis out of Kentucky. And it's going to be a mistake. And he's going to be underwhelming. He'll be better than Dwayne Haskins was, but I don't think he's that great. And they're going to have another problem of a guy who's not that, he says, who's fine. I I can totally see Washington drafting Will Levis, a quarterback out of Kentucky, like 16th overall and him being underwhelming. Uh, Last question that Davis writes in and says, Zach, it's more of a comment, but I like it. Davis says, Zach, you asked for a Colts fan's opinion on what happened, what we want for the rest of the year. Here's what Colts fans want. We want our defense to stay healthy and productive. I want Matt Ryan to be respected by the organization. And if the Colts win out, that's awesome. And if they don't, as long as we're competitive and look good, I'll be happy. But what is most crucial for the Colts is the offseason. If the Colts don't rehire Jeff Saturday, I want an offensive-minded head coach. Eric Bieniemy is preferred. I want a good draft and for the Colts to actually use their open cap space. We have had one of the largest uh one of the largest last season and little to notable I don't know oh oh he means we had one of the largest amounts of cap space available last offseason and little to no notable pickups were made. I love Chris Ballard, the Colts general manager. He's a pro talent evaluator. But when it comes to using cap space, he's a miser at best. I think, I think that's the word miser. I've never said that word out loud, but I think there we go. So Davis, I, I guess that's what Colts fans want. They want to be a team that's attempting to be competitive, which it makes sense because they're not really in the sweepstakes for the number one overall pick. Um, but I just, I, I don't know that winning helps the Colts. I say that every time. I think the higher the draft pick you can have, the better. Um, but the Colts are going to try to win. And I respect that. I mean, that's um, the Colts franchise and fan base in general. It's kind of like the St. Louis Cardinals in baseball. Like they're a very knowledgeable uh, fan base and a, a franchise that demands respect. And it's just interesting to see um, what's going to happen and become of the Colts this year, because clearly they are a team that is trying to um, be competitive and, they're not going to tank, which you got to kind of admire, uh, even if it is to their detriment uh, and the future of their franchise. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. Um, Thanks for tuning in. I appreciate you. I love you. I'm very grateful. Um, I am going to do everything I can to record Sunday night and make an episode on Monday. I'm going to be pretty disappointed if that doesn't happen. If I if you're not listening to me talking about football on Monday morning, I, I'm gonna be I failed and I'm gonna be really disappointed. And I've been 
it's been hard. And I've had a lot going on. And I, I just, I, I really, I really want to do well at this job. And uh, I, I got nothing to add. I, I just, I love you guys. I'll see you Monday morning. Please. I, I so, I, I got this idea and I, I'm, I'm really tired of making episodes. Mm-hmm. We're talking about Formula One from Sunday and it's, 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 you're going to hear this on Saturday morning and I just, I'm so tired of that. I'm so tired of that. And I, um, I'm going to say no more. I'll see you on Monday morning. Have a great day. But um bum bam. We are.